0: It's March Mania at Sports Interaction. We're talking NHL, NBA, March Madness, MLB, and more. Just just, just a lot going on. A little stressed out. It's Mania. Manic. Let's go. Anyway, uh, listen, uh, Crazy Odds and the best live in play. Download the app in Ontario. Use that QR code at the bottom of the screen. Or just head to sportsinteraction.com slash... SDPM. That's right. Thank you. To get started. Good job. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Welcome
1: to Nailing the Apex, I'm Tim Haraney Please head on over to Spotify, give us a 5 star rating and a follow Same goes with Apple Podcasts as well, write a review as it really does help us grow the show You can follow me on social media at Tim Haraney Australian Grand Prix this coming weekend And here to help me set the table from Fangraphs, it's Michael Bauman Michael, what's up man, how are you?
0: Oh, oh, Timmy (laughs) Timmy, it's always good to hear from you
1: We were just talking about your pickle shirt. So, my question firstly
0: is dill, garlic dill, or gherkins? Well, you know, you said you wanted to talk about auto racing at some point, so I'll try <laughs> to keep it brief. But I think, like, you need a different pickle for every different application. Because, you know, if we're different just talking occasion. about a, a sandwich, you know, I like a dill or a, a bread and butter. But, you know, if you're just oh, eating yeah, one bread, out of the yeah. cart, Bread and butter, I think, like, particularly the turkey sandwich, a little bit of mayo, mustard, That's bread and butter call. pickles is hard to beat.
1: Dill pickle with... Either a ham or ch- turkey sandwich.
0: Mm-hmm. Agreed. Not bad. And you right? get some of the, you know, sometimes you get a you good chop Kaiser a, roll. You chop up dill pickle, put it with some mayonnaise and ketchup. Make yourself a little bit of oh, yeah. secret sauce. There you go. I like that.
1: Uh, if you want more uh, pickle recipes from Michael, you can get them on Twitter, at <laughs> Michael Bauman. <laughs> uh, dude, so you and I just are coming off of doing a uh, podcast over on The Ringer with uh, Megan Schuster. It was pretty awesome. Uh, for those of you who want to listen to it, head on over there, give it a listen. Um, and we're doing an Australian Grand Prix preview, so we're going to do it again here, but we have some updated news. So, apparently, Sergio Perez uh, no uh, no longer... Is Red Bull a one-car operation, and he can now go and fight for a championship? Uh, one point separating both he and Max Verstappen. Verstappen leading the championship. I don't know, Michael. I don't see it happening, but hey, you <laughs> can dream, would, right? <laughs> yeah,
0: nothing would make me happier than for you to be proved wrong about this, because but I'm <laughs> but I'm with you. Um, it's the the whole thing about Checo is you know he's. I I think the quality of uh, his quality as a racing driver I think it's been overshadowed by what what Max Verstappen's done in that car and their time together. Um, You know he seen he's exceptional on street circuits. You know his tire management, his racecraft. He's just an incredibly savvy driver, and I'm glad that he's gotten the opportunity to race at a top team and you know build up that career win total a little bit. But as someone who can challenge maybe you know i was just thinking about this like if max verstappen wants to by the time he's done like he could end up holding all the records and ending the greatest of all time conversation you know i think in terms of peak performance it's just a matter of him having the equipment and staying on the level he's at right now and i don't know if anybody's you know capable of of of, uh you know getting on a level with him week in and week out particularly when he has that team just completely integrated into his own interests and the you know the stuff that that he's done in terms of the you know brazil or or sneaking up behind checo and trying to close the gap last week or two weeks ago at Saudi Arabia it's all so unnecessary and a normal you know a normal team a normal team driver combination wouldn't continue to tolerate that but Red Bull does because they know what Max is. Yeah. And if he, you know, it because he is that I I find it unlikely that this title challenge from Sergio Perez is going to last the entire season as much as I'd love to be proved wrong.
1: It it would be it would be awfully tough. I mean, I think uh I think like so far this season Michael like you know, we're only two races in and look, I get it, but if we go back to like last season, the car really did go away from him. I mean, the car ended up getting a lot lighter and then it kind of interrupted a bit with his driving style. Didn't necessarily feel as comfortable with it because it got lighter and you know, for Max that kind of really suited him, but you know, on Thursday he did he did make mention that he he was starting to feel more comfortable in the car and he was able to extract more performance from it. And it didn't feel like last season's car. Now for me, that's got me interested because if he's able to, you know, keep it within striking distance with Max, he I think he can make this championship interesting. But again, it's going to come down to not making mistakes. It's going to mm-hmm. come down to making sure that that lap delta stays within about a tenth or two tenths, not like last season where he was, you know, half half a second off and plus in some races. And so I think if the, the RB19 can continue to suit his driving style. I think he can have a chance at winning this championship. I just am I'm interested to see how Red Bull handles it if things start to go off the rails. So if we remember back to, I mean, what was it, Vettel and Weber? I mean... Mm-hmm. That, that got out of hand. Like, by the time they got to, what, 2013 and then Multi-21 came came into play at, I believe, the Malaysian Grand Prix, it, what it was, um, it, it got pretty nasty. And so I just am curious to see if Christian Horner can handle two ultra-competitive drivers battling for one driver's championship. What do you think?
0: I think the Vettel-Weber... <laughs> comparison is instructive because I think that, you know, it shows that Red Bull will back the, um, you know, and maybe this has changed in the past ten years, you know, it's been a long time since that happened, but I suspect it's still the case. But Red Bull will back the whoever they view as their franchise driver. And I think the gap between Vettel and Weber, as substantial as it was, was is not as big as the gap between Verstappen and Perez. And I think Vettel, as spiky as he could be you know, early in his in his career, is not as ruthless and has never been as ruthless a character as Verstappen is. And I think that if this you know under certain under the perfect circumstances, I think Chuck can keep it close but the you know the qualifying deficiency will always be there and there's the fact that like he makes mistakes you know he has off weekends because he's a human being and not mm-hmm. whatever you know whatever kind of freak talent Max Verstappen is like it, it, he's he's going to have a bad weekend every so often and but let's say he limits all that limits that qualifying delta that you were talking about and keeps it close i think the the mind games and the the dick swinging that we've seen from from Verstappen, you know, at the end of last season, early this season, directed at somebody who really shouldn't threaten him. I think that will increase, you know, and dating back to Monaco, you know, we've seen seen his camp, uh, not Max himself, but people close to him say some kind of nasty things about, about Checo, you know, on social media. And it's, I think all that would intensify if, if he ever came under genuine threat. And I think that Cheka would find out just how stressful it is to mount a legitimate title challenge. Cause you know, it, there's no shame in not being up to that. Cause you know, we've seen all kinds of great drivers just not have that extra, you know, whether that's a 10th of a, a second in, in pace or, you know, that extra 10% of ruthlessness, you know, it's, Lots of people have gotten to Checo's level and not been able to put it over the line.
1: Yeah, that's um, <clears throat> excuse me. That's that's an interesting point that you make. I mean, if you if you go back and you take a look at some of these sort of rival inner team rivalries between you know drivers who are battling for a championship. I mean, the, the obvious one stands out. That's probably Hamilton and Rosberg straight up for that one, and the depths that Rosberg had to go to just to win that championship in 2016, you know, he flat out said like, I'm, a, I'm exhausted. I got to retire. Like this is, it mm-hmm. just took so much out of him. And I, I think, you know, Verstappen's that same, that same type of, uh, hard nosesness where this thing could get really nasty. That's what, that's what I think. And I think also, um, that not that, that making sure that you can separate these two and not let it boil over too much. I think it's that's going to be impossible. I just think it is. I mean, it it uh, it, it's, it for two drivers with the same equipment th- that no one else can kind of come close to them. I mean, it has to spill over. It just, it just does, right? Like that's just car racing and competition in general. I mean, yeah, I'm here for it, though, Michael. I'm here for it,
0: <laughs> and particularly the kind of competition that is this level of auto racing. Like, yeah, for sure. But uh, yeah, I'll draw a distinction between Verstappen. You know, the just the, like the little brushback pitches he's been throwing Perez throughout the past 18 months. Um, and or twelve months, I guess, you know, dating back to the beginning of last season, contrast that to the Lewis Hamilton, Valtteri Bottas situation. Because Hamilton, you know, for as much as you know his humanitarian rep- reputation is deserved, uh, when it came down to intra-team teammate battles, he could be as ruthless as anybody. You know, ask Rosberg, ask Alonso, ask Jensen Button, but he never really did what Max is doing to Checo, to Valtteri Bottas, even though Bottas you know had blistering qualifying pace you know would look like he was in the title fight repeatedly early in the season hamilton always knew that he wasn't an actual threat for team leadership yeah. and i think that it you know it's a similar situation in red bull but verstappen is not he's expending what seems to be a decent amount of mental energy you know looking over his shoulder when he shouldn't be when he's clearly the fastest driver in that team and he's got clearly the fastest car on the grid he's got absolutely nothing to worry about and i you know I'm, i don't think this is going to affect anything long term i just think that the verstappen red bull combination is so much better than anything else out there uh, but i'm you know it it's not what i would like to see from a driver who's this far out in front of the field
1: i think if perez wins in australia we see this thing go to another level that's yeah, what I think. I agree. And I, I, I don't really think it do. should.
0: Like, I don't think that Verstappen should feel threatened by Perez yet. But. Yeah, good point. Yeah, good point. But for sure. I, do, I do think he, you know, he only knows how to ratchet up the intensity. Um, Ferrari.
1: So apparently we'll have some uh, new upgrades coming to the car uh, in the next few races' time. And this car is going to look a little bit different, apparently. Uh, it, I, And this is where. You know, I find it interesting when it comes to the cost cap and the regulation change and the limit on CFD and wind tunnel time. Um, and, you know, you and I have talked about it before. I had mentioned Aston Martin on a on the other podcast um, a few days ago where look at where they started in 2022 and then look at where they ended up finishing at the end of the season in that sort of performance gap that they were able to close uh, under this current regulation. Do you do you think Ferrari could be able to get back into the fight with with uh, with Red Bull? I, I got, you know I think like Mercedes, and we'll get to this in a second. But I think like Mercedes could possibly, but I just I just feel like Ferrari has so much work to do with that car in terms of what it's like during the race.
0: Yeah, and I you know I think Mercedes also has a benefit. I I think they've got two drivers who really know how to help develop a car. In a way, that you know, I'm not to have any slight against, you know, the Chucks, but it, it's, you know, I think I think Hamilton and Russell have have always had a long term view towards that team. Uh, whereas Ferrari, I think, is, you know, can be accused of looking for a quick fix here and there. And, you know, can they develop the car? You know, can they catch up to where Red Bull is now? Absolutely, yeah. but it, it as as they're developing. Even though Red Bull has the lower allowances for wind tunnel and CFD, and even though they're dealing with the the penalties for breaching the cost cap, and even though they're going to transfer you know their energy to developing the 2024 car probably as soon as possible. It, they're going to keep developing, you know, that that's not a stationary target. And I think that that's what not just Ferrari, but Mercedes and Alpine and McLaren and everybody else, that that's why they're struggling to to reel in what was a pretty big gap in performance and race ex- execution last year, because you know, it's not just a matter of catching up. You have to catch up to a moving target.
1: I think it's interesting. Like what we've been hearing out of Mercedes lately, um, in particular them knowing before preseason testing that you know this car was was going to need a different design concept for it during the season. And hearing hearing that and hearing that you know they knew that this was going to take place, to take shape, and that they were going to have some struggles i i think they've been working on something michael i think they've been working on it since either november or december and i got a feeling we're gonna we're gonna see it now whether or not this thing is gonna be quick when it arrives apparently in, in emila and a few races after uh is another story um I don't know what do you think about all of it because like for their car to get a total redesign i mean that the whole side impact structure is mm-hmm. you can't really do much with that like it's the way that they've built the this you know the, the zero side pod concept and where they have the side impact structure that was made mandatory um by the fia a few seasons ago they need a full chassis redesign to put that somewhere where it currently is put it somewhere else like i don't I don't see that happening, but.
0: Uh, well, I don't know, because it could be the sort of thing that McLaren is doing that they realized too late that they were barking up the wrong tree, and then they, you know, are coming up with essentially like a, you know, a B spec car, um, where they're, you know, saying they're redesigning the car, and they knew that it was going to be obsolete by opening day, but this they're just gonna get it out as quickly as they can, and that means Baku for McLaren and Amala for Mercedes. You know, when they stayed with the the zero side pod concept, I thought that they had unlocked something. You know, I thought that just being the in not just not just a different kind of design cul-de-sac mm-hmm. than Than Red Bull, but just something that's so divergent from everything else on the field. Yeah, I agree. You know, they had a good look at that. They developed it a lot. It still wasn't as fast as they wanted it to be. You know, I thought that if they were going to stay with that, they would have, that would mean that they had unlocked something in it. And so did they just waste another six races and a lot of resources trying to develop that, you know, to make that radical change of direction? I don't know. Um, but it everybody seems pretty bummed there. Uh, so I don't know if, if that indicates that they just know they're further behind than they thought or if they uh genuinely don't have anything that they're excited coming excited about coming down the pipe.
1: You mentioned uh McLaren, so let's uh let's talk about them for a bit. Yeah, you're <laughs> you
0: had a hot take about this. <laughs> hey, listen. You're you're I a level-headed I, guy. I, I did I, not expect <laughs> this, you know. <laughs> did not expect this from you. Okay, what you said what, on the ringer pod yesterday. So I think you should reheat that take.
1: Okay, so what I had said was, I think that they'll finish last in the Constructors' standings. But I did but? say that they were going to score points. And yeah, I like had
0: on, on. Okay, all right, all
1: right. <laughs> also said before all of that that the midfield... Is as competitive as I have ever seen it in Formula One. So I'm not saying like they're going to be last by like third, like the, like from tenth to ninth, there's a thirty point gap. What I'm saying is is that they're going to be last maybe by a point, maybe by two points, mm-hmm. and that's separating them from like seventh, you know, like or eighth. And so that's how close I think it all is for McLaren. They are going to need to hit a home run with their first major upgrade that they will be bringing to Baku. Now, they have three upgrades that they're bringing. They have one that's coming in Baku. They have another one that is going to be coming uh, before the summer break. And then they have another one that's going to be coming after summer break. This is going to be uh, a a B-spec car. So, essentially, the car that they have now, it's going to look totally different after... Baku and before summer break. Like this car is gonna look massively redesigned. Uh I just find it I just find it concerning when your team uh at the beginning of the season lets go of you know James Key and goes out and gets David Sanchez from Ferrari and then restructures your entire aero department because you now don't have a technical director that everybody can report to. And then, also on top of that, you know, I heard from Andrea Stella uh, on Thursday and hearing that, you know, a lot of the employees, in particular in the um, aero department, uh, were being underutilized. And, you know, this wasn't... <laughs> yeah, this wasn't being... They, don't they weren't say. being used to the full potential, <laughs> is, is what he said. And in particular, there was, uh, the, the director of Arrow Performance, is Peter uh, Prodrama. Like, he wasn't actually being used to his full potential, apparently, according to Andre Stella. So, I just find all that... It, it's, it's not good, but, I mean, if they're able to get this sorted, and this different technical structure that they're trying to implement behind the scenes
0: works. I mean maybe they could finish eight or nine. Can I tell you my favorite part about your your take that you know I first heard <laughs> yesterday. Do it's it. the second part where you said, well they're gonna finish last but they are going to score a point like that's this big magnanimous like concession that you're making points, to huh? they're, Oh, sorry. They're going to score points plural <laughs> and, and, as if this is big mag, magnanimous magnanimous concession that you're making to this team that wants to be back in the championship fight in the next three years. No, you're not going to get completely cornholed all season. Oh dude, I'm going to
1: eat those words for
0: sure. You're not going <laughs> to no question about it. <laughs>
1: I, no the question.
0: thing about this this race being so, and particularly at the back of it, because you know, a good weekend for Haas last week, and they or yeah. last race, I keep doing that, they scored one point, point. and so if you get like a fourth place finish, like that could be just that could just turn the, the championship completely on its head, Huge. and so. For that reason I'm more optimistic about McLaren's ability to um to climb up the ladder and make up ground quickly but you're exactly right they have to nail this Baku upgrade cuz they were behind you know just based on 2022 they yeah. can com- like they completely hump the bunk coming into 2023 even more than as disappointing as, as Ferrari and Mercedes have been McLaren even more so and like that midfield is not Getting any easier, just like you said. I, I will say the one thing is about it being so congested is like obviously it's not as easy to pass like the the twenty twenty one Haas or the twenty twenty Williams or you know a complete no hope. There's not really a no hope or car, but because the the gap in terms of pace is so small, you get a couple tenths that completely changes yeah. your your outlook. And if we think that this Baku upgrade is going to be worth a couple tenths, then you know, you get Lando Norris qualifying in into Q3 regularly. He can make magic happen. I think they can, they can put out like a below average car and still score a lot of points quickly.
1: Yeah, just because of that driver lineup too. I mean, and more mm-hmm. of the more of the Piastri gets a better understanding of it too. I mean, the better off they're going to be for that because he's been pretty impressive, Michael. I actually didn't think he was going to start off as strong as he has, but you know, watching him in Saudi Arabia and battling with with Norris towards the end of the towards the end of that race, there was a battle between Logan Sargent, Norris, and Piastri, and I thought he I thought he did really well. It's pretty he it was pretty impressive in terms of not being in a race race car and in a race in like a year and I thought I thought he did quite well I don't know what what do you think about the rookies in in total I mean
0: well Piastri I think something I didn't appreciate you know obviously I was impressed by his results in the the junior categories and the fact that he had so many teams fighting over him because it wasn't just Alpine and McLaren Mm -hmm. Williams wanted him too. you know they were staging him to be this you know the next generation George Russell and you know that speaks for itself but you know you think of it's certainly in the time that i've been following formula one you think of australian f1 driver you think of ricardo weber you know these are guys with a you know a sense of humor you know obviously a cutting edge but i was not prepared and piastri also being as young as he is got the baby face but i was not prepared for like the completely Dead eyed shark like assassin seriousness yeah. that he brings to to this car. Yeah. Um, so I think he could be a really dangerous guy once he gets his feet under him and once the McLaren is competitive. Uh, in terms of the other rookies, you know, being an American, obviously I'm going to stump for Logan Sargent, but oh, he's done great. He was somebody yeah. that, you know, I said this yesterday, but, you know, I'm going to bring the good stuff to your home pod too, so don't worry. Uh <laughs> He was a guy who it was impressive in F three and sort of inconsistent during his full season in F two. And when he was on, he was one of the best drivers on the grid. But there was, you know, there were um, there were breakdowns, there were mistakes. You know, it you would seek seek out contact from time to time. Um, and I wasn't really sure what to make of him. And in terms of the. Uh, you know, the absolute ceiling of the top two American prospects, you know, I probably would have taken Colton hurt over him just in terms of of uh, raw yeah. ability from what I could see. But, you know, Sargent has adapted so quickly. He's so close to Alex Albon right now. Uh, And you think about he's only had two races, you know, only had one season above F3. And and Albon is like quietly turned into as reliable a veteran presence as you will find on the on the grid. And if Sargent is close and he's still making mistakes, he'll iron out those mistakes as he you know gets into it. Uh, I'm very confident he'll score points as well. Uh, Uh, Maybe this weekend, but certainly at some point during the season.
1: It's interesting to hear from James Vals um, during the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. So back when James was at Mercedes, he actually um, brought Logan in to do a test in their simulator to see, like, okay, is this this guy, like, any good? Like, do we think we're going to be able to move forward with him? And they ended up not going with him. And now Vals is, like, having to to work with him because – he actually wasn't Vals' driver because Jos Capito is the one who brought mm-hmm. Logan in and Williams is the one who helped fund that Formula 2 season um, for him. But I think he's he's uh, he's turning James Vals' head around a bit more in the way that he's starting to see, like, okay, this kid's got a lot of talent. Um, made some really great points about him keeping pace with, with Alex Album because... I don't necessarily think that that car is really geared towards Logan's skill set just yet, and he's been able to he's been able to make that thing sing, man. It's been pretty impressive to watch him so far, especially in Jeddah. Um, reduction of F one practice times moving forward, Formula One. This is something they could end yeah. up doing. Stefano Domenicali said last week that uh, he was a big supporter of maybe getting rid of the free practice sessions, um, saying that the public didn't like it. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with him on that side of things. Like, I can see with doing away with maybe two of the free practice sessions, it was interesting to listen to some of the drivers um, on Thursday. Um, Discussions on cutting down the three one-hour sessions, taking away the, the data from engineers, and taking away some data from the drivers as well, um, could create some mistakes for the teams. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, for George Russell, though, he felt the, the, the experienced... F1 drivers uh, didn't need so much the, the free practice and but the rookies kind of did and felt that you know some of that time could be passed down to the lower categories like Formula 2 and Formula 3. Um, would you want to see Formula One make some changes within their weekends, say, get rid of you know one or two free practice sessions and maybe give more time to, to the junior categories?
0: Well, I think, you know, watching Formula One and then seeing how little time the F2, F3 drivers get on track, like, it's sort of, you know, it's it's instructive, because I Mm -hmm. think they definitely could use more in terms of, like, building up those uh, junior categories as maybe spectator, you know, interest points in their own right. Um, So, from my perspective, it, you know, sprint races have always struck me as kind of weird, just because that's not what I grew up with whether you know f1 or indycar nascar like it's just you get the one one race on sunday and that's the you know that's the big big event and there's no other like points paying event um but you know i've seen people seem to like it. the drivers seem to like it you know dominicali makes a good point of like having something meaningful on every day of the the grand prix weekend which you know i find to be a hard thing to argue against uh but you think about so like there's you know, obvious. That would obviously be interest of interest for fans, um, who now have something to see. You know, something meaningful to see every day. You know, every day of the the Grand Prix weekend, it would be of interest to, um, to sponsors, obviously, to TV broadcasters. Domenicali wants it, uh, and the only holdups are the the teams and drivers. And you know, I would like to, in general, see maybe see a little bit more uh, time for like know setup and development work just to try to you know I, th- I think that might free up teams to be a little bit more creative in terms of design and setup but if you know from what russell said if the drivers don't want it if the organization doesn't want it if the fans don't want it if the sponsors don't want it then who's out there really fighting for free practice so yeah you know, good point like i mean given given who's lined up in, in favor of this i'd have a hard time like seeing what the obstacle is to turning you know maybe going for an all all sprint race calendar or whatever shape that takes
1: i'd find that pretty interesting I like lando's idea was basically going pre-practice one into into qualifying and so that would be the only time you actually really had where i guess it would make sense if it's 60 minutes but then you got to look at it okay so you got to get the car set up for quali and race and then also you gotta run through some tire simulations as well, fuel loads. It could probably be done within sixty minutes, but you have to make sure you're not gonna crash the car and you have to yeah. make sure that like your your stuff is really dialed in and you're not making any mistakes throughout that session. And I think that's kinda of like where, you know, Stefano may be coming from where it's it's kinda of like these teams get so much track time that they've they've really got all of this stuff nailed down. But the, by the time they get to, to qualifying they know exactly what they need from the car and driver, where if you were going to throw a wrench into plans you would you would take away some of the practice so they don't have all of this figured
0: out and they're really just tapped answering their way through it.
1: I'd find that interesting. I, yeah, I would that would be it a useful
0: thing. You know, yeah. I think we could use a little more randomness in F1. Yeah. My, the only thing about that is, like, you want randomness in order to generate unexpected results. Yeah. Um, and the teams that are best situated to field a wrench that's thrown at them are going to tend to be at the top of the grid. Yeah. So may, you know maybe this is a, a situation where you get you know get a a midfield team that's just just really really good at trackside operation and they can turn this into an advantage and you know pull pull some surprising results out of hat yeah. you know if mercedes and red bull and ferrari can't optimize their car to within an inch of its life uh you know there could be some opportunities but also i wonder if this is you know red bull's just going to be good at this too and yeah, it's just going to extend that advantage
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly because it's kind of like the teams will the teams will find a way they'll figure yeah. it out how to try and gain back all of that lost track time um the FIA putting their uh, foot down on race celebrations, so it was it was interesting. I actually had a number of people randomly reach out to me at the end of the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, saying like, "Whoa, there's a lot of people hanging on the fence, yeah, uh, from the team cheering for for Checo as he won." And I'm like, and in my head, I'm thinking like, "Yeah, you know, that's 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 normal, you know. I I remember that ever since I was a little kid and." doesn't surprise me and it's just part of how it is but they're actually the FIA is like they're saying like they can start throwing around penalties here if teams keep doing yeah, it. yeah
0: this was uh i was looking at the um the image that went went with the article on this on, on motorsport.com and i was looking at like how high those guys got up on the, the fence like hanging over the <laughs> yeah. overhang which i wouldn't do because i'm scared of heights but <laughs> these uh these guys are really getting up there what what's frustrating to me about this is like The FIA should, like, throw a brushback pitch and say, you know, let's not do anything unsafe, but there's an obvious middle ground, which is you have an instruction to teams like, hey, keep the mechanics from climbing all the way to the top of the fence. Like, you could climb the wall, but, like don't climb the fence if we're worried about you know people getting hit by de- by debris or, or falling off or anything like that but just saying you can't do this which is something that it seems like it matters a lot to the teams that they really like you know get a big morale boost from celebrating in this fashion um, and also, like, provides a lot of really like iconic images in terms yeah, of, sure. of wrapping up a race win. Because you think of this is not a sport where you get the photo of the decisive touchdown or the walk off home run. You know, you, you look at these historic wins, whether it was Checo's win at, at Secure um, or Jensen Button's first win, and it's all like photos of the mechanics, like, sticking their arms through the, the fencing and, and pumping their fist. And, you know, I, I think we lose something. Not having Yeah, that.
1: like Schumacher's, uh I believe it was Schumacher's seventh world title. Like, there's just like this iconic photo of like the whole thing is just all in red, and you can see all the mechanics' arms, mm-hmm. you know, going over, and you can see Schumacher like punching, punching the air, and
0: it's kind of like oh, those That's guys cool, should. I mean, if, if anybody should have ever acted like they've been there before, Michael Schumacher by his seventh <laughs> title.
1: <laughs> that's a huge record though man that was yeah, awesome yeah. I, I remember that day. that was so cool um dude thanks very much for doing this i, r- I really appreciate it uh, i know we didn- don't have you for too much longer but it's uh opening day in yeah. the mlb and uh mr bauman you're you're covering it so
0: what's happening today brother oh well the yankees won today uh so yeah oh, yeah same as it ever was <laughs> Yeah, uh, nothing has changed. I mean, changed. we got all sorts of new rules this year. That, you know, the pitch clock, the anti-shift rules, bigger bases. You know, already just in terms of we've already today we've had a pitch clock violation. We've had a lot of stolen bases. We've had some exciting rookies. So we're going to be covering that at Fangraphs.com, uh, which is the day job for me. So go and check that out. Also, we have memberships which have special perks. So, so I forgot to plug this the last time I yeah, was yeah, on do your it show. Up, man. So yeah, so. Buy a membership to and where you can get all sorts of, uh, uh, you know, my analysis, other people's analysis. My thing that's going to go up tomorrow, um, minor league baseball has uh, their union has negotiated its first collective bargaining agreement. So that's oh. one of the things that, that I cover is labor relations. So hmm. this is a big historic day, not just in terms of opening day, but in, in off the field stuff, too. So I'll have analysis of that up by tomorrow.
1: We got a ton of uh, sports fans who listen to uh, the podcast and who are, uh, who follow SDPN. Um, I picked the Blue EJ's Jays to win the to win the East, I, so it's gonna save it, man. They're up. Don't 3-1. Don't let me down. <laughs> so it's the bottom of the bottom bottom one. They're up three one, buddy. What do you think? I, <laughs> They're playing I mean, the Cardinals, I, I, like come yeah, on.
0: I'm, I'm I'm climbing the fence already for my Blue Jays celebration.
1: <laughs> uh, actually, um, pitch clock. What, what do you think about
0: that? I love it. I've been saying since yeah. it, since since this came in in September. I think it's going to be the biggest. It's going to be the biggest change to the way baseball is played uh, since the steroid era, and I think it's going to be the biggest positive change of my lifetime. I think like it's going to kill so much dead time. It's going to just baseball. The problem with baseball as a spectator sport has not been that it's long. It's that they let the tension dissipate too much between pitches, oh, yeah. and so just. Keeping everything moving, you know, making you know, making sure that that the tension never dissipates. That you're just keeping the momentum of the game, letting it get into a rhythm, which is how the game was played for the first 150 years of its existence. And you know, I like it because teams have just there was no rule about it, so teams and players just just took advantage of it and filled that void. And the you know the league in the, those situations should say stop screwing around, play the game right, and that's what they've been doing. So I'm really excited for it.
1: How uh, how much time do you think it's going to actually cut? I know we're a motorsports show, but like this is fa- it's fascinating to me. How much time do you
0: think it'll cut off? A Couple uh, hours, so you think? Like it, what? Well, in the minor leagues, it was about twenty minutes a game. Uh, okay, 20, 25 minutes, and something okay. similar in spring training. So, okay, you know, it's something that you don't notice that much uh, during the course of the game, but it's. You know, it, it all adds up, just a few seconds here and there. There are mm. 300 pitches a game, sometimes more. So you shave off a couple cents, couple seconds here or there, and, you know, you're out of the park by last call, which is why sports writers like this, so...
1: Brother, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. If you want more from Michael, you can get him on Twitter at Michael Bauman. I'm Tim Haraney. If you want more from me, you can get me at Tim Haraney on all forms of social media. Uh, Please head on over to Spotify. Give us a five-star rating and follow Same Goals with Apple Podcasts. You've been listening to Nailing the Apex, and we will talk to you all again on Sunday.